Raceway. Well, we're still kind of getting in and settled, but uh, probably go ahead and start tonight um, with, with the song as we gather. Again, my name is Brett. It's, uh, it's always good to be here with you guys. Glad to be back um, two weeks in a row. Uh, albeit a little uh, sparser in terms of the this week. Um, this is one of my, my favorite songs um, that you only hear this time of year. And um, I, I don't know, it just it struck me uh, in the season of Advent, I mean, given what's been going on in, in our world and in our neighborhoods around us. Um, it, it just seems to carry some extra importance to me anyway. So hopefully you'll sing along uh, or, or at least just read along with the text and that's what we tonight.
all you guys here tonight. Um, I'm going to start with a question. <laughs> Not usually this part of the gathering. We ask questions, but I think we're going to start with the Advent candle tonight. Do we? Is someone reading the Advent candle? I don't know that I was told that, so maybe not. We'll figure that out in a minute. But um, anyway, generally this is our point in the gathering where these guys lead us in a, um, in a, a song that's our community song. So Joel, I'm going to let you guys start that if you will. Uh, that let us know the, the work of God that we're participating in. 
So as a community, uh, all of the things that we do missionally, our partnerships have come out of the life of this community and the stories that are a part of that community. So we gather every week to hear stories. And, and, and lastly, and most importantly, we gather around the table uh, to uh, eat, and break, eat, uh, eat bread and uh, drink wine and juice in not just memory of what Christ has done, but an embodiment of Christ's kingdom here on this earth. So anyway, it's a delight to see all of you. Let me pause real quickly to just say, is there any announcement, anything that, that needs to be said to the whole community before we continue on? All right. Sounds, oh, this. Can I have Trinity Park Seminary? So if y'all want to drive up, watch on your way out, it'll be beautiful. Fantastic. So, yeah, so just head this way, watch this one block up. Uh, thanks, Susan. Um, so, one of the things that um, we typically do at this point in our worship gathering is give you an opportunity to stand and greet the people that are around you, uh, offer them the peace of Christ. If you're around somebody that you don't know, please introduce yourself and we will uh, connect. It's also a great time to grab some coffee or, or snacks and then we will come back together for our uh, kind of Advent dialogue tonight. So, please stand up and greet each other. Actually, this will probably uh, go out to podcast land tonight, uh, but I wanted to say a thanks to Mark Williams, who's our lead artist. Uh, this is actually a, a, a good night that, uh, it sounds weird, but that Mark, Mark uh, and Katrina and Sarah and Josh are both away. I, I, I shudder to think of the number of nights that those guys have uh, crafted all that we do in worship. But um, the podcast from last week was absolutely phenomenal. It was one of the, typically our, usually it's our second Sunday of Advent when we do kind of uh, um, an almost all musical liturgy. If you missed that, I would strongly encourage you to check that out. I think that was one of the most powerful and honest Advent liturgies uh, done in music that I've ever heard in my life. Was just an amazing. So Brett was here, and some some of you guys played, but uh, but what an incredible um, uh, gathering! That's one that's uh, will be a, a podcast favorite for me. So I think that's up. I haven't looked for it yet this week. Uh, but if you missed it, uh, please check that out from last week and thank uh, Mark and Josh. The, the the amount of work that they did to pull that off is is huge. As well as when we get into the stations tonight. Uh, uh, the aesthetics team has just done an incredible job, and it's a little extra work. Advent for us has been really one of the most special parts of our community life, even given the fact that we have uh, so many folks that are uh, in the middle of finals or grading finals or, or uh, I guess, Brandon, you called a break this year. Nothing to grade, no students to torture until next term, uh, but we realize this is a time of year when, uh, when much, of, uh, much of life is very, very full for many people in our community. Um, so the two texts that we're going to look at tonight from, uh, these are both lectionary texts, are Isaiah 61 and Luke 1. They're in front of you, so you may want to have them. Um, if uh, I had forgotten this, but um, last uh, week, about three or four days ago, I had a call from um, 
someone who was here last year during Advent that was a pastor, and they had remembered that we had had a dialogue or something on, on Christmas movies, and I had forgotten that, and somebody had called and said, do you remember those Christmas movies you talked about? Or, and so I had to like look back in my notes, but I, I had remembered last year, we have uh, one, one, our senior daughter is uh, 17, is a, a Christmas Obsessed person, she just absolutely loves. Uh, it's, it's actually a great system in our household. Uh, maybe you guys could utilize this as well. If you buy a gift, and she buys most of the gifts for everybody, but if you happen to buy a gift for somebody else, all you have to do is throw it into her room, and then it appears wrapped a few hours later somewhere else. And if you're if you need something decorated, you can generally just mention it, and it gets done. Uh, uh, Kendall just loves uh, Christmas. One of the things that I don't love about her love of Christmas is that she loves the absolutely horrific Christmas movies that are, you know, they've been showing what since Halloween, but, you know, they're on like whatever, I don't even know what network they're on, but they're on a lot in our house. And I looked at my notes because last year I said, Kendall, I will watch some Christmas movies with you. And so I kept kind of a little diary of the ones I've watched. These are the ones I remembered. The Christmas Caper, a, a classic. Uh, <laughs> Christmas Do-Over, uh, the Christmas Bounty, the 12 Dates of Christmas, uh, Holidays. Uh, I mean, these are all powerful, life-changing movies that will change your whole perspective. Uh, but just to remember, uh, there's a formula to these movies. Almost everyone has this formula. I'm going to work backwards if this doesn't confuse you. But it, the, the movie usually ends with, uh, with either a kiss or a hug. You know, if it's somebody who hasn't seen the love of their life and they realize it, then it's a kiss. If it's like an unreconciled family member, then it's usually some form of hug. What happens after that? During the kiss or hug? Uh, there's, there's a right or wrong answer here. It snows. It always snows. So, you know, working backwards, these films all end with like the kiss-hug scene in snow. And what the kiss-hug does is it lets us know that the miracle of Christmas has been revealed. It was hidden, but now it's seen. And in case you didn't get it, because these are complicated films. I mean, this is serious stuff. Uh, in case you didn't quite get it, the kiss and the snow lets you know that the miracle has been revealed. Now, working all the way back into the narrative of these films, uh, what has to happen for the hidden miracle of Christmas to, to occur? I mean, you can't have the kiss or the hug and the snow until... This happens. How do you unleash in all of these films the miracle of Christmas? What do people do? Uh, almost anything you guess is going to be right at this point. But what do you do to unleash the miracle? Somebody has to not like Christmas. Someone has to be converted to Christmas, right? There's somebody who not only doesn't like Christmas, but Laura, what else do they not like if they don't like Christmas? They don't like other they don't like your baby. They walk in, they see you. That woman is going to sit beside me uh, in a restaurant, and she probably sat beside me on an airplane last week, right? So they're that kind of person. I going to make sure she cried Exactly. So, yes, they don't like people. What else? What do you do to, like, unleash the miracle if you're converting somebody? They have to, like, go back to their roots, Right? So somebody has to go home that hasn't been home for a long time. They have to, the person that they've been searching for their whole life 
has been sitting beside them for 10 years and they don't realize it. Uh, they, they have to care for someone. They have to get back to their roots. They become famous and they've forgotten who they are. It's the same story, right? Now, here's the question I want to ask tonight. Is in all of those films, and it's interesting, those films are actually deeply connected to a pretty common Christian theology related to not even Advent, but Christmas, is in those films and in common theology at times, where does Christmas occur? And don't say Bethlehem, because that would be wrong. <laughs> where does it happen? Where is the real action, in, in, if you're following Laura's plot, where is the real action of, of Christmas? It's in your heart. That's, I mean, that stone cold, baby hating, person hating, Christmas hating, uh, hating one's roots, hating one's family. It's the warfare is in one's heart. And, and in some ways, that is the, 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 a theology that's highly related to our culture. Our culture feeds in to that kind of thinking. We have a culture that tends to think that our biggest problems can be solved by individuals. Um, and that individuals have agency. We have the, the power to solve our problems. As soon as we know what's wrong, um, Chelsea doesn't need to ask other people to help her out in this. She just solves it. You can solve anything that's wrong in your family, anything that's wrong in the community, anything that's wrong in the world. Uh, you, can, you can make that happen. And we also live in a really sentimental culture where you know, if you just get feeling better about something, then you've probably solved the problem in the first place. And so to some degree, in kind of a common speech about Christmas, and certainly in kind of our common Hallmark Channel film, is that the real place of, of Advent and of Christmas is in our hearts. Um, this week, we're going to look at two texts very briefly tonight. But we're going to look at two texts that strongly misdirect that kind of thinking to a different location. And this is part of the beauty of the season of Advent, is that Advent sits in front of this coming of Christ and begin, it forces us to think, what are we looking for? What are we hoping for? What is our hope? And where does the hope of God land in the world? In many ways, this is the, the, the dark and the beautiful part of Advent, dark because we look around the world and we see many places that are not under the, the beautiful, gracious, loving rule of God, but hopeful in that Advent crystallizes for us what indeed are we hoping for. Um, so I want to look at these texts. I think Chelsea is going to read Isaiah 61 for us. Uh, the, it's like 1 through 4 and 8 through 11 or something like that. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me, he has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. For I, the Lord, love justice. 
I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants shall be known among the nations, and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge that they are a people whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself with the garment. And as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots, and as a garden causes what is sown into it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and grace to spring up for all nations. So, we've been reading Isaiah a bit during, uh, during Advent. Uh, two weeks ago, we looked at a text right beside this one in Isaiah 60 that was a desperate and dark pleading. It was God, to make yourself known in some way in this world that we live in. And then last week we looked at a much more hopeful text of, of one that in many ways implied that the presence of God would change the world that we're in. Um, before a comment or two, let me just ask you this question. What strikes you about this text in Isaiah? Maybe uh, it, it reminds you of something else. Or what do you see in this text? What strikes you here? Oh yeah, friend. I think I did a paper on this ten years ago, so harking back. Um, this is the text that Jesus reads in Luke, right? Uh, when he enters into the synagogue and says this has been fulfilled. So, I mean, if we're kind of jumping to the New Testament, there's a significance there. But uh, I think more immediately, play in verse 2, it's, it's a jubilee text. Mm-hmm. So it's the year of the Lord's favor, right? What struck me about, about it and seeing it again is that phrase to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, you would think it would be, um, we're all going to get along, we're going to, there's going to be abundance, and which there is, but the very next phrase is the day of the vengeance of our God. And that's a weird um, sort of pairing there, right? That the, the Jubilee year is a year of vengeance. Yeah, I mean, if you remember, we actually looked at this text about, what, four or five months ago. And this was exactly, we were reading Luke 4, but this was exactly the text that, that Jesus read with an insertion, uh, interestingly, from Isaiah 58, and a deletion. If you remember that text about vengeance, uh, Jesus left that out in, in, in reading that and actually said that thing, Isaiah 61 thing, it's never really happened but it's happening right now with me. Uh, that almost got him killed right there. And if he, he wasn't in his hometown. He might not have made it out. But he claimed this text as talking about him. Anything else that strikes you? Thanks, Megan. This is kind of like the Gordon Conwell road here, isn't it? Uh, I'm nervous when I turn my back on this deal uh, this way. Uh, uh, anything else that strikes you? It's the last verse, and before the earth brings up its and garden calls with a sun to spring up, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all nations. The inevitability of the goodness of God to to be wrought, to occur, to just be there. It's just it's reassuring. Yeah, isn't it interesting that it's it's one of those we, we talked about kind of the inevitability in the last couple of weeks of the of the comedy of the of the ad, of Advent and the coming of God and God's grace is it's presented as an eventual reality, not a debatable reality. And it's interesting too, notice in contrast to uh, 
this notion of Christmas happening in our hearts, um, this is landing in some unique places, isn't it? One is Israel is being uh, transformed. Zion is being changed. But here, as is, 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 is pointed out here, is all the nations are being transformed, not just Israel, by the presence of kind of the culmination of God's work. Anything else that strikes you in this text? Yes, that's okay. It kind of reminds me of the Beatitudes a little bit, um, sort of like a fulfillment, like a kind of speaking of a direct fulfillment of people who are mourning and mourning spirit, and speaking directly about those kinds of books and saying that there will be this time and there will be a, a fulfillment for them. And it's interesting, I mean, two weeks ago, very specifically, we talked about the significance of mourning and lament and seeing what's broken and wrong in our world to, to even discern the presence of God. I know it's challenging for us because for most of us, we sit relatively in a place of privilege. Um, and so things have worked out for us. So we tend to think of God already coming into a world where things have generally worked out for us. But interestingly, that's not the, what the portrait is here. And many of the Advent texts talk of persons who are at their last straw, their, their last tear, their last moment. And they're the ones who find the hope of God. Um, anything else? Those are good thoughts. Something related to what you said about those, those movies. And uh, the problem being, someone mentioned every group being the heart. I like how... Jesus, in this the first time that he really introduced himself to Israel, he talked about bringing good news to those people who are broken heart. Yeah, and, uh, that's that's always been special to me to the oppressed, the broken heart, to to proclaim liberty to the captives. Uh, I like that emphasis on the good news for people who really need it. Yeah, and Bill, right? Thank you. Yeah, that's and it's interesting. Notice this point that. Um, I remember, I've quoted this so many times, but we were talking about the vengeance and judgment of God. And, uh, and generally for people who have a whole lot or things that are, you hear judgment, you hear vengeance, you hear, you think, I'm going to lose something in this deal. Uh, that, you know, something has gone my way that isn't going to go my way. And if you remember, this was like four or five years ago, uh, A.J. Walton uh, piped up in the back. And he, you know, A.J. was... Uh, Mixed race family, uh, you know, African American male in Eastern North Carolina, very low income community. And he said, you know, if you were to talk about good news and judgment in my community, um, and, and this will reign true to many of the things that have happened in our world in the last month or two, that's the best news of all. You tell me that a judge is finally coming to Hertford County? And it's going to actually judge based on fairness and graciousness and goodness. I mean, bring that judgment on. Bring that vengeance on. You know, you know, in a room of largely white people, you know, it's like, oh, we don't want that to come our way. But uh, again, that's in many ways our, our own privilege that's getting in the way of thinking that for many who live in the world, a judge who would come to the world and set it right is the best of titans. It's the best news that one could ever imagine. So notice in this text, in Isaiah 61, the advent, the coming of God, is not just something, it affects individuals, but it is a transformation of the world that we live in. And notice that it's not even in the depth and the heart of Israel's text. It's not just about Israel, it's about the nations. 
Um, just to think a little more about that. Would somebody read it, um, the, the Luke 1 text? It's Luke 1, 46 through 45. And the lectionary has skipped verse 47. I'm not sure why, but it, it does. So would somebody give that a quick read? And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. According to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Thank you. So you probably recognize this. This is Mary's song that she sung upon awareness of her very, very unique pregnancy. And it gets back to Brandon's point about uh, about the Jubilee. We've talked about this many, many times. But this crazy practice of Israel that every 50 years they would give back everything that they gained at somebody else's expense, whether that was servitude in persons or whether there was land or whatever involved. And think about the genius of that. It seemed to be for Israel there was a theological truth that was this simple. There was not to be a poverty class. There could not be a, a mindset where poverty would breed poverty would breed poverty to where persons would say, we have been broken and poor and at the edge of life for eight generations. It wasn't ever to happen in Israel. Now, of course, the best we can tell, Jubilee was never practiced. But isn't it interesting that the, this incredible text that promises the coming of God into the world to set it right is a jubilee text. Isn't it interesting that the mother of Jesus, when, um, and, and you know, we sing the words of this many times when we do, uh, Wade brought this to us as an amazing song, Canticle of the Turning. We, we basically sing these words many, many times here. But isn't it interesting that Mary, the mother of Jesus, when asked, or when exalted about what was happening in her body and in the world, she presented a jubilee presentation of, of not Christmas coming in our hearts and affirming what we already knew, but changing us entirely, changing us as persons, changing the world that we live in entirely. And then as, as Brandon pointed out, Jesus' kind of first speech or first sermon in his hometown, he picks up exactly these texts. Isaiah 61. Uh, in fact, I think without those, people might have said, what's that crazy 15-year-old girl singing about? But in many ways, she's singing about the intentions of God. Um, one of the things, and I'll end with this this week, because uh, so we have lots of times to talk about this, is uh, I have been thinking long and hard about, uh, about the notion of Jubilee. Uh, because it touches, as many of you pointed out, not just the system and fabric of the world that we live in, 
but it touches us as individuals. How do we choose to live as persons in that world as well? And one of the things that I think, it's an odd week to announce this, and it's something that I'm thinking a lot about, but I would love for us in the next six months to a year to work hard as a community to consider what does it mean for us? Because we've made this overt commitment to be a Jubilee community, but what does it mean for us to truly lean into that commitment? And what two things come to mind for me is that there's something deeply inward to um, to uh, being a Jubilee community. And I think one of the most amazing things that have happened in our community this year uh, with SK and Sarah Fox and lots of people who've been deeply involved in kind of beginning a contemplative initiative and, and really helping us uh, lean into uh, contemplative prayer more and more is the recognition that part of uh, seeing the presence of God and part of being a, grat- a grateful person and also a broken person who's yearning for the Word of God is deeply connected to our lives of prayer. Uh, on the other hand, in our work with Durham Can this year and other of our partnerships, we have been deep, deep in the things that are deeply wrong in our community. In fact, um, probably this year, we've seen more happen than ever before in the 10 years that we've done this in terms of radical changes in policing, um, in our community, uh, significant changes in terms of staffing at a couple of public schools, particularly schools where the majority of students speak Spanish. Uh, there has been uh, things, even right now, a very pointed and, and challenging conversation about housing when the light rail goes through. Uh, who will live near the right light rail? Will it be school teachers and police officers, or will, will it be, you know, quarter of a million, I mean, $700,000 flats and condominiums and homes and things like that, and that seems to be the direction that it's going. But I imagine for us as a community, as we kind of step into this Jubilee hope this upcoming year, I think that's going to be kind of the two fronts of that for us, is to continue the hard work that we're doing with um, Church World Services, Durham Can, lots of other things that put us literally face-to-face with what's wrong in our puts us face-to-face with racism, puts us face-to-face with injustice, puts us face-to-face with poverty, and then also some very deep work in our own community prayerfully to discern how God is asking us to be a part of that, and in many ways asking ourselves to say, what part of me resists that work? What part of me resists the hope of Jubilee? So anyway, these are wonderful texts, and I look forward uh, to uh, the next several weeks of us spending time uh, uh, thinking about them and thinking about how they impact us as a community. Let me pray for us and then we will uh, transition to the stations tonight. God, we're thankful for the words that were given uh, tonight. Uh, the, this year, the Advent, uh, the Advent lectionary cycle is one that kind of puts us into uh, your grand scheme for this world. And may that be the scheme that affects our lives. I confess that very quickly that my schemes tend to be that which drives most, most of my emotional life and my planning and my hopes. But may your schemes and your vision for the world that we live in uh, dominate each of us and certainly dominate us as a community um, uh, this year and beyond. In your name we pray. Amen. So.
Um, for the next 30 minutes or so, from really about now to 6.15 or so, we are going to transition to our Advent uh, worship stations, which we're ecstatic. Uh, it, such beautiful work has been done with them. I'm going to introduce a little bit of what they are, and then there will be some corrections and some additions. Um, I'm going to start in the back, because we didn't explain this in terms of, we have a prayer labyrinth. And Sarah Fox, I'm going to give us a, a you, you, this is a practice that you love, uh, yeah, so there's lots of different shapes of labyrinths and lots of things you can do in a labyrinth, but let me just give you a basic idea in case you're unfamiliar. Um, so it's basically walking prayer. And one of the, I think, best and simplest things to do is to think as you're walking towards the middle, because you slowly follow a path back and forth that lead you towards the middle. Think about going towards God. And then when you're in the middle, you might want to just be there, acknowledging the presence of God. And then when you turn around and follow the same path, back out. Think about going back out into the world. If you know of other ways to use it, you know, you're welcome to do that, but the basic idea is kind of walking through and being in a prayerful listening sort of posture. And if you have other questions, you're welcome to And that's actually a perfect segue into kind of what we looked at in the text, because that kind of contemplative uh, awareness of God's love for you as a person is never detached from being a person in the world that we live in. And a lot of things that very, very clear. Um, we have three kind of art, construct, missional type of stations. Um, the back corner is one that we've been working on for quite some time. Does somebody want to explain our icon work that's going on back there? I can do it, but it'll be mangled. I can do it too, but it might still be Okay, go for <laughs> it, please. Yeah, so for a while in the community, we've been doing these paper rolling projects where on Season, but the, the, the Rublev's icon of the Trinity in the center, we're replicating that, but we're replicating it in our own stories. So we prompted you constantly over the last four to five months to share things, people who have impacted your life, things that you're praying about, lamenting about. So when that's done, it's going to be a beautiful portrait of our narrative in that icon. So what a beautiful thing. Um, the back corner behind the doors um, is... Um, is a, a contemplative prayer station. Am, am I correct to think that there's something from the kids back there as well? Is, does anybody know what that is? Uh, Elizabeth, can you help me with that? So, um, or that's in the middle. Yeah. Can you share what that is? So, um, at the kids' prayer table in the back, they they have these prayer cards that have different prayers from across time and different people have written. And so, Joel had. So we can participate in that by making these prayer cards. On you can sit at this table and make the prayer cards that they will use. 
great. And this has been, Elizabeth is one of the things that she has championed so amazingly this year for our community is to integrate uh, what our kids do, not just in kind of leading the community song, but what they do in terms of their studies in the in, in our worship gathering. And this is one connection for you. And another option is that the, the younger kids, the three to six-ish age kids, they have hands-on things that they do in their room around this time. And so we invite you, if you want to go back to their room and while they're doing it, and say, show me you know, what you're doing here and, and participate with them, that, that's another station option to do tonight. Thank you. And then in the corner, we're making, <laughs> what are we making in the corner? Candle holders, yes, thank you. And then one uh, admin station, we'll get to all of them, that we invite all of you to is to the Eucharist table. Our tradition on uh, for Advent is sweet bread and there's juice. Uh, there's also hot mold wine. Uh, feel free not to drink the hot mold wine because I treat that like sacramental wine. I think I finished up four or five cups of that during cleanup last Sunday. So thank you for that. That was awesome. But that's been our tradition is it's, it's delicious. Uh, don't leave any for me. Uh, 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 red wine and sweet bread. And, and what we understand in, in our stations, as I send this final prompt to you, is that we understand every week as we gather at the Eucharist table, for those of you who haven't been with us before, we have kind of a rowdy Eucharist. We, we serve each other. Uh, we offer an open table with the assumption that everyone in the room is welcome at this table. We know it's maybe the only opportunity we have every week to embody the life of the kingdom fully by not excluding anyone, by welcoming everyone at that table, by recognizing that we're mortal, by serving each other. We are not independent souls who go to that table and say, I can be what's needed in this world alone, but we're dependent on each other. We pour the uh, wine and juice for each other and break bread. So um, I'll be at that station primarily to, to make sure that everybody's able to get served, but we serve each other. And so uh, please uh, do that. And we understand that in our room, around the room, uh, that those conversations that happen, those moments of silence are deeply acts of worship. Uh, and so I, I release you now to uh, enjoy a station or two, uh, to do what, whatever you're most excited to do this evening, and to most importantly enjoy each other and do them with people uh, in the room. So please enjoy the stations. Listen for Brett. Brett has uh, some great uh, songs that we want to, I think, sing collectively this uh, evening. And so about 6.15, if you, when you hear his guitar, that will be the, the signal to, uh, as you will, kind of work your way back into the red chairs and, and enjoy that. So, uh, so anyway, please enjoy the stations. First song is one that uh, I learned when I was in college. I went to school in Winston-Salem, just down the road, and there's a huge Moravian population there. In fact, I probably scurried out of here last week without saying uh, hello to a lot of you because I was hustling back to watch the webcast of the 50th anniversary huge Moravian love feast at my college, where I used to sing in the choir. I remember when my roommate set his hair on fire with the candles, the beeswax candles filled the entire chapel. Uh, we're not going to do that tonight. Uh, 
with this song I learned there. And it's kind of a call and response song. So if, if you know it, you want to sing it out, that'd be great. It's going to sound weird without like this, you know, blaring pipe organ, but um, we'll make the most of it. Alright? Looks like this.
sure why this next song came to me other than I think Bill Moore's been running a lot of ads of late on the television. But um, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. It's actually a really beautiful song. And um, uh, if you know it, know the words. Please sing along. Uh, follow it. It's, it's real short. So. Praise, praise to the brain. 